The loneliness one dare not sound and would as soon surmise, as in its grave go plumbing to ascertain the size. The loneliness whose worst alarm is lest itself should see and perish from before itself for just a scrutiny. The horror not to be surveyed, but skirted in the dark, with consciousness suspended and being under lock. I fear me this is loneliness, the maker of the soul, its caverns and its corridors, illuminate or seal. Hello and welcome to Loneliness and You, the podcast in which we hope to illuminate rather than seal the experience of loneliness and the question of whether it is indeed the maker of the soul. I'm your host, Axel Seaman. In each episode, I have a conversation with someone who has something to say about loneliness from an academic, artistic, or indeed any other perspective. My guest today is Valeria Motta. Valeria, could you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about who you are and what you do? Hi. Uh, yes, I can. I'm a, a researcher, postdoctoral researcher at the moment. I, I did my uh, PhD at the University of Birmingham, and it was about the experience of loneliness and, and solitude. Um, and I don't know, maybe is that enough about me? <laughs> yes, of course, I'm sure you could say many more interesting things about yeah, exactly. you, uh, yourself, <laughs> but that's enough to get us started. Um, we just heard the rendition of um, Emily Dickinson's poem, The Loneliness One Dare Not Sound. And we always start with an informal little discussion of that poem. How did it strike you? Mm. What did it do for you? What do you make of it? Mm, so much. <laughs> okay, um, some of the things that uh, that she's saying in in the poem uh, reminded me of how uh, well Frida from Reichman. Uh, she was the, one of the first people I read when I started my my research on loneliness, and she's a psychiatrist. And she was the first psychiatrist to write about loneliness in the sixties. And this is she has a very famous posthumous work called Loneliness. And, and there's a type of loneliness that she describes in the patient. She talks about this. She says, she, says, she, describes, she uh, um, names it real loneliness and, and talks about how uh, this type of loneliness, which is the more extreme, has a paralyzing effect on some of her patients. Now, what's interesting is that she calls this uh, loneliness. Uh, I mean... It could be something different because she had patients with other conditions, but she calls it loneliness because what makes it um, this experience for her is that it's incommunicable. And and I saw some of that, or at least a sense of what uh, from Reichman was uh, conveying in that paper. So this paralyzing feeling, this kind of, she says that it's even um, uh, it, it's even a, a stop to empathy. So uh, we would we would think we tend to think that empathy is something something so natural enough humans, and and then this experience seems to be disrupting even that idea. And um, so I read some some sort of uh, that that type of uh, thinking in in the poem. Um, so that was one of the things that I saw. Um, and then I really like that 
is describing some sort of place, right? So place that can be illuminated. So, so different places, uh, place, places like a, a grave, which is something very dark. And then she talks about how, you know, the caverns and the corridors. So as if the soul, when she talks about our soul, right? Uh, th- there is this, I mean, you, you could picture it as if it was a, a sort of a building or a physical space. And places where you can enter, places where you rather not enter, places where you, as if you would shut the door. That's how strong the experience can be, right? That that's how strong the separation can feel. Uh, from what I know, uh, from what I've learned, and from what I've read. Um, so that's that's. I could say much more, but that's that's my first impression. Yes, thank you. And that's such an interesting um, impression. I have that similarly, you know, what you just said about, you know, this notion of a place. Um, I, when I, when I read this poem, picture a mausoleum almost like, you know, sort of it's, it's almost a place sort of where, where dead people are. Right. And it's Mm -hmm. got these caverns and it's corridors. um, And then as if you had a torch, like, you know, and you can sort of, light up bits of it so yeah that's right I, I totally also get you know this notion of sort of being absolutely closed off and and closed off from other people and closed off from life really and being you know in the dark there and being sealed in and you can't get out so it seems that it strikes you similarly um it's a pretty you know dark and sort of breathtaking experience that dickinson's conveying here right mm, yeah the darkness where yeah. i mean the darkness seems to have more to do with uh, something that's concealed from yourself, let's say, right? Because when you're in the dark, it's like you have no point of orientation. So, yeah, when you say darkness, I'm thinking, I mean, and we're talking about loneliness. And that's very different from what we, what we read from the research, right? Which is, I cannot connect with others. This, this brings uh, a new dimension to what the experience is about, which is there is something that's not clear even for myself. And that's more or less uh, what I'm interested in. So, yes, yeah. that's right. Let's let's talk about that a bit more. I, you know, I'm familiar a little bit with with your work and therefore with your interest in the self awareness um, and the particular kind of self awareness or lack thereof that comes with loneliness. So it's interesting because you might think that um, when you're lonely, then you are incredibly self-aware, right? You know, you you know, you experience yourself as being cut off mm-hmm. from others. And so it's mm-hmm. not that you might think that anything's concealed from you, but it's it's there, it is. It's really vivid. And, you know, that's, it could be shameful even, you know, it's, it's present in your mind. And so um, then it wouldn't be concealed mm-hmm. from yourself, right? So what's your views on that? Mm-hmm. I like, I like this question very much. So it reminds me, there is this, uh, definition of uh, loneliness is what Mustaka uh, call existential loneliness. This is when you are aware that you are lonely. So that's one type of way of looking and describing, yes, um, what loneliness can be. So that's the awareness. That's, that's where the, if, 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 if we are using the metaphors of illumination and darkness, okay, you're very clear. It's very clear for you that you feel you have this feeling and it's very disturbing to you. But then there's another level, right? So there's this other level that has that for me has to do with yourself. It's 
you perhaps may be aware of or not uh, of what aspect of you um, is this aspect that is uh, you cannot communicate that cannot come out uh, this this way of experiencing yourself in the world where where others can see where you can communicate who you are so that's a, and that's a different level uh, that's where the darkness is let's say is, is that <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense so are you mm. saying something like you know that one way of explaining or spelling out like what can make loneliness so awful is that you are not being recognized somehow we have a need you know to uh, or some of us has a need to you know live um in out in the open where there are other people and you know these other people recognize us for who we are and that's what's not there when you're lonely right um it's it's as if you weren't visible is that what you're talking about yeah or an, or a part of you is invisible maybe not not all of you because you're out there you can talk you may function in a society let's say which is what happens to many people right they they may be really good at what they do and uh, uh, yeah, and, and even have conversations. So it's not that you necessarily have to be shut from the world. You can be out there, but there's still this aspect of you. That's why I like, um, you know, I like think, thinking about uh, ourselves as, um, you know, having all this, this spectrum, let's say, of, um, Abilities, abilities. You know, I like the 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 word uh, aspects. Uh, so this is a, a very uh, a, a word that comes from phenomenology because it's you know um, it it everything that makes us uh, be who we are, and and there are parts that are not not all of us is seen when people see us. Uh, they only see one aspect of ourselves, and there may be many more. And some of these aspects may be very important for us, uh, for for us to show. And there are there may be uh, opportun not opportunities, let's say, <laughs> or or certain environments may not be open, may not be uh, uh, allowing those aspects to to reveal themselves. Um, so, so, and and that's what I meant. And this this explains, and this is important because this explains we're not just one person always. We we change throughout life. So let's say someone, and that's why this may explain when loneliness is circumstantial, right? Because it can happen. Let's say um, I've had it, and we all have. Uh, personal experiences, but uh, just just name one of the of the personal experiences when loneliness can can arise and can be transient, and and that ex explain this. What I'm trying to say is some some experiences um, are of loneliness that one wouldn't expect would be. So, for example, becoming a mother uh, for a woman it it is it can be a time of of loneliness, and that's and that is when uh, we can say, okay, maybe uh, an aspect of themselves, like this this person that they were before or, or specific um, characteristics that they had before, 
don't find uh, a place in the world anymore. Uh, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. I'm, I know I'm being general, but no, yeah. no, that 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 makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Yeah, it's you know one fascinating and and, and deeply puzzling uh, aspect of you know loneliness research, and I think it's you know it's it's what everybody who's beginning to think um, about this condition comes across first is that it's not reliably connected. Really, weirdly, it's not reliably connected to social isolation or social connection, right? So you can be, you know, a hermit um, who doesn't see anybody and, you you know, meanwhile, you're not feeling lonely at all. And you can be a socialite who's surrounded by loads of people and you can feel intensely lonely, right? Indeed, you know, one of the biggest groups who report that they feel lonely is is college students. And uh, you you wouldn't think that, right? Because, you know, college students are all of the time surrounded by other students in the US. You know, they even share their rooms with other students and so then right. why are they feeling lonely? And, and then, you know, you say, well, it's because it's it's not really about the presence of other people, but it's about whether a part of you, you know, that, that needs expressing and recognizing mm-hmm. is being expressed and recognizing in the light of, of, mm-hmm. of other people. And that may not happen, even though there's lots of people there. Is that sort of what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yes, very interesting group you're, you're mentioning, because... Uh, at that time, let's say when uh, at the age of college, is when they are discovering themselves, right? When they are developing certain parts of their personality, so they're not very sure who they are yet, right? So it makes perfect sense. It's perfectly normal to feel lonely, I would say, right? It's just something. It's a reaction to, oh, okay, where, who am I now? And if I have to choose, sometimes I don't know. Still happens. It shouldn't. Let's let's just let's try with this podcast from now on. But uh, there are no groups where you have to kind of um, belong or non-belong. Okay, let's stop that from <laughs> now. On. But but let's say they are they are trying to figure out who am I going to hang out with mm-hmm. and how am I going to be seen, right? So that that's part of it. the definition of themselves seems to be very much in relation to who, who they're going to be seen with. And so they may feel lonely because this other person or this other group may not represent them fully. Perhaps there's a part of them that wants to come out. And I mean, it's, it's normal that they are confused. So it's okay. I would say if anybody is uh, college students listening to this feeling lonely, it's okay. You can change groups. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's a beautiful thought as well. Let's, uh, you know, dwell on that a little bit. Often in, you know, the literature, in the psychological literature, um, in particular, loneliness is portrayed um, as something that needs to be cured, right? So, you know, you read currently a lot in the papers, you know, in public media about the loneliness crisis, right? People report feeling lonelier ever more than ever before, you know, certainly since, you know, the recent pandemic, but even before that, that was a trend. And and so then the re- reaction is, we need to cure that, right? Loneliness is a bad thing. We need to, you know, make people feel less lonely. And then the question is, how do you do that? But you just said mm. that sometimes it's okay to feel lonely. Tell us a bit more about that. Sometimes it's even healthy to feel lonely. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure you can uh, uh, pathologize loneliness. Uh, it's like uh, if you would uh, 
different emotions that are uncomfortable. Sometimes they are they are just just to move you, right? I mean, the the very I'm sorry that I go back to the to the very origin of the word <laughs> emotion. It just moves you there to to put you in motion. Uh, I like to think about loneliness as that, although it is. We have to acknowledge what it is for what it is. And there are many different types, so I um, certainly encourage people to do a, a search, a self-search, and also, well, for researchers out there, to to find better classifications uh, because that's important. You may be feeling something that is that is transient and even healthy. I don't know. Maybe loneliness can can arise when you know. Certain environments are not healthy for you, or you need to realize that there are aspects of yourself that you want to show to the world. Okay, so then you need to think about which is, which of, which are these aspects and how you can develop them. Um, young people, uh, well, when I looked at the difference between loneliness and solitude, um, you can convert, you can turn. <laughs> Uh, okay, this is not a recipe for, for changing loneliness, but yeah, you not. can, yeah. but you can feel the lack uh, of, of, of companionship or relationships if, if that's how it how it arises in you, and and think, okay, well, maybe what what is it that I could do on my own that will make me enjoy my own company, mm-hmm. and that's where you can start. You know, building building a relationship with yourself, a healthy relationship with yourself. I think it's it's very important for building a healthy relationship with others, and yeah. and sometimes it's not so comfortable to be on one's own. Uh, but that's when I'm saying loneliness can be useful if that's the type of loneliness that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Then there are there may be other types of loneliness and. That's why we, we really need to classify. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little bit about what, so, you know, you're right. I mean, there's definitely different different types of loneliness, of loneliness it seems. You know, what Dickinson's talking about, what we talked about at the beginning of our conversation mm. is probably different from what you're talking about now, right? Dickinson's loneliness is perhaps not the same loneliness as you might experience when you're off to college and, you know, it's unfamiliar and you don't haven't sorted out who you are, right? So it's important to classify. Can you tell us, and much of your work is, is indeed about that, um, are there general fault lines you can draw between types of loneliness? Um, are you prepared to do that or how do you go about it? Uh, maybe not at the moment. It's a work in progress at the moment. Uh, but I would say, yes, there is. We can distinguish. The trans- I mean, this is not my own. Dis- this is not my own distinction. But the, the, in the literature, you you find distinctions between transient types of loneliness and permanent. Um, so transient would be because because there's a la- there's a there's a, cha- a change of situation in your life, or you lose a friend, or you a very dear friend, or you lose a partner, and that's and that's a kind of transient. That means that well. You, you can get over it just like when you lose uh, I mean there's so much uh, the grieving because we're losing many people they say so that it would be something similar and maybe it could come with grief as well so so that's we know that grief has a process 
and so so loneliness. Although it's not being described, which is which I encourage uh, uh, researchers to do. Um, so that's that's one type, and the other type is it's much it's permanent. So and Kachiobo has a really uh, interesting like uh, research on that, and he he talks about how it can affect um, how it can. Um, uh, it's connected to uh, perception biases. So you can, uh, when it's constant, when it's uh, not transient, uh, maybe you, you develop this aversion for, you know, social interactions, and then you, you only your attention is more focused. It has to do with um, how you perceive the world, right? How uh, where your attention is. So let's say you go to a a social gathering or any social situation, you, you look at the negative instead of, you know, the positive aspects, and that, and that's something more that could be okay. If we're going to think about loneliness as pathological, maybe there's something there. Um, so those those are the two distinctions I would make now. Let's say. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, we only have like five minutes left. And I do want to ask you a little bit oh. about, so you are, you know, a young researcher, you're just starting out. What brought you to, to, what brought you to loneliness as, you know, a gloomy topic after all, um, on most views, what brought you to, to attend, attracted oh. your interest to, to that topic at the beginning of your career? Yeah, well, I don't. It doesn't feel like the beginning. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to. Um, I didn't mean to denigrate. No, no, but no, but no. My God, but that's okay. Uh, um, I had. Uh, so you did mention this before before we started that uh, you 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 were interested in our personal experience. I'll say a couple of things. Two things that I think um, are important. So I remember. So the first one is the childhood memory. Um. A very striking childhood memory. Um, I remember I was uh, in my one of my uh, birthday parties. I think I was seven or something, and I used to have really big birthday parties. So lots of everyone was invited, and my house was very big, big gardens, like three floors of cake. You know, it was like a super big celebration, and this is very. This is an early memory. I don't know if if you, I mean how early memories can be recorded, but I'll never forget this moment when I was there. Everyone around me was having fun, and this thought came to my mind: I am so uh, I am surrounded by all these people, and I am lonely. So, so that was very striking, being so young, and and I didn't remember this this thought. For like a long time, of course, until, well, of course, I started studying philosophy and different different types of philosophy, and and then uh, when I was deciding on doing my masters, I remember what brought me back. Uh, well, choosing to continue my work in academia was okay. What's the book that I love the most? And and it was Nausea, uh, you know, by. Uh, Jean Paul Sartre, mm-hmm. and this book is very much uh, about. Uh, I mean, it, 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 then uh, so after finishing my my PhD, 
thesis. I I read that he was going to name this book. Uh, some versions say it was Melancholia, and other versions say it's, uh, he was going to call it uh, a history of loneliness or a story of loneliness. I really I didn't so, know. Yeah, I was so surprised. I was wow. so surprised because if you read that book, it's mostly, I mean, it's, it's about what uh, I became interested in. To investigate it. It's amazing how, without us knowing the the books that we read, form us or inform us, right? Some some in some way, in some, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously. Um, it was very much. It 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 does have um, uh, some uh, resonance with uh, well this this experience and then uh, and then this this choice that I made because. Because I found that uh, yeah. that book at that type of philosophy interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing, mm-hmm. right? How the books that we read early on, in particular, for mm-hmm. me as well, you mm-hmm. know, how, how they live in your mind, and even if they're not fully present, they they sort of have such an impact mm-hmm. on what you do subsequently. Mm-hmm. That's right. I have that experience as well. Um, that's mm-hmm. a beautiful thought to end up with. Our time is up. Okay. I want to thank you very much for um, our chat today. That was extremely interesting and insightful. And I'm looking very much forward to reading more of your work in the future. Thank you, Axel. It was very pleasant. Thank you. (laughs) Bye, Valeria. Take care. Bye. Bye. My guest today was Valeria Mota. She's a postdoctoral researcher in philosophy at the University of Birmingham in the UK, where she studies loneliness and solitude. Thanks for listening to Loneliness and You, a podcast on the research and experience of loneliness.